The Revolt of 2020 by Patrick Johnston. Copyright 2011 by Dr. Patrick Johnston. Read by Daniel Meyer. By kind permission of the author, this reading of The Revolt of 2020 is available for free distribution. Stay tuned at the end of this reading for more information and links to additional resources. Chapter 16, Austin, Texas. I don't care. Listen, I'm tired of repeating myself, Governor Adams spoke into his cell phone as he paced his office floor. You're overstepping the bounds of your authority, sir, griped one of his most trusted political aides, his press secretary, Mark Morgan. You can't get away with defying the Supreme Court. They'll hold you in contempt. The Supreme Court has no authority to rule against the Constitution or against the Ten Commandments, answered the governor. Yes, that is our religious belief, but we have a constitutional separation of church and state, answered Morgan. The First Amendment of the Bill of Rights says Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of... Do I look like Congress to you? Governor Adams was shouting into the cell phone now, incredulous at his press secretary's arguments. The First Amendment limits Congress, not the states. Our forefathers did not want a separation of God and state. Why is it that I feel like I'm going in circles with you? You tell the media at that press conference that if the legislature doesn't put a bill on my desk to ban abortion and physician-assisted suicide, I'm not going to sign anything else. Nothing. I can't do this, said Morgan. There's no use pretending. Excuse me? I cannot defend you any more. I'm sorry. Well, that's probably an answer to prayer, then. They're going to take you down, Governor. You're going down in the history books as a Benedict Arnold, and frankly, I don't want to be in the same chapter. Click. Good riddance, thought Adams as he sat at his desk and dropped his cell phone onto it. It wasn't half a second later that it rang again. He answered on the second ring after glancing at the caller ID. It was Robert Boniface returning his call. Pastor Robert. Hello, Henry. You asked what you could do to help. Well, I'd like for you to speak to the media for me. He could practically hear Robert Boniface grin on the other end of the line. My other guy just quit. He thinks what I'm doing is illegal. How'd you like to make our case before the American people on television tonight? The laugh was lengthy on the other end of the phone. Tonight? I've got a press conference in two hours, and I'd like you to defend what we're doing. I'm no politician, Henry. Ah, music to my ears. I need a press secretary who's devoted to my principles and can articulate them persuasively. I was just praying this morning about my response to the media and the public, and now my man quits. You're the answer to my prayer. But the media can trap you with their questions, said Boniface. Not me, you, said the governor. But I'll tell it forthrightly and honestly without the political correctness politics often requires. I'm a preacher. I don't put my finger in the wind, Henry. No one can do this better than you, answered the governor. Why can't you do it yourself? I can. I just don't want to. Guys like me hire guys like you to take the media punches. Besides, if the pundits make an idiot of you by tying you in knots, I can always disown you and hire somebody else. The governor laughed alone at his own joke. One at a time, please, one at a time. Robert raised his hands as if directing a choir to try to calm the murmuring in the crowd of journalists. Robert Boniface felt so peaceful right at home in spite of the storm raging in front of his eyes. There he stood in front of a mostly hostile audience of professional journalists who thrust their hands into the air for their turn to ask the tough questions. What irritated them the most was that he was not ashamed of his politically incorrect answers. So, said the CBS correspondent on the second row, standing to be seen and heard over the raised hands and noisy mumbling of his colleagues, Fundamentalist Christianity is the official religion of Texas now, is that it? His sneer dripped with mockery and disrespect. Not just Texas, Boniface responded with a light-hearted grin. The whole world, every other religion is a lie. That's not just Henry Adams' opinion, it was the opinion of our American forefathers, and it's the opinion of most Texans. The senior journalist was not going to be intimidated by the Christian fanatic's confident demeanor. Even some sects of Christianity, the journalist reminded him, tolerate legal abortion in some circumstances. Some sects of Judaism do not consider the fetus alive until birth. 
Boniface answered, you don't need to be a Christian to realize that the murder of innocent preborn people is wrong. You can actually go online and watch an abortion, and you can see for yourself that abortion kills a baby. The Supreme Court has, someone blurted out, hands, hands, Robert reminded them. Yes, ma'am, he pointed to a woman on the second row. She stood and read from her notepad. The Supreme Court has stated that euthanasia would be voluntary, not coerced and involuntary, as Governor Adams seems to believe. Is he willing to concede to the Supreme Court on this issue if it can be proven to him that euthanasia will only be done if the patient voluntarily consents? Robert Boniface took a deep breath and grabbed his wooden podium with both hands. In the year 2000, the Dutch Parliament voted 104-40 to to legalize assisted suicide, the first nation since Hitler's Germany to promote the direct killing of patients by physicians. Their government-backed study found that the majority of all physician suicide deaths were involuntary. In our Supreme Court's ruling on physician-assisted suicide, they explicitly state that the patient's power of attorney has the right to make these decisions for a patient who has been ruled incompetent. There will be involuntary killings as a result of this ruling. Our laws should never justify suicide, physician-assisted or otherwise, voluntary or involuntary. It is not compassionate therapy for any medical problem. Hands rose throughout the press room and Boniface pointed at a reporter, you in the yellow shirt. There's a poll in Time magazine today which shows that 51% of Texans between the ages of 18 and 45 think abortion should be legal in at least some cases. Does the Democratic consensus of Texans have any influence at all upon Governor Adams? Boniface laughed at her question. She glanced around the room, confused as to what she said that was so funny. You have to ask yourself why they interviewed 18 to 45-year-olds and not 18 to 90-year-olds. Certainly the gray-headed among us are part of the Democratic consensus, and certainly we can answer phones as well as 18 to 45-year-olds. Nevertheless, even if Time magazine did interview all voters instead of the cross-section that gave them the numbers they wanted, and even if every single Texan thought abortion should be legal, right and wrong isn't subject to a Democratic vote. For example, slavery was wrong even when it was democratically popular in the colonial states. The Texas government is obligated to prosecute murder even if most Texans want it legalized. Next question. He pointed in the back. Yes, you, at the end of the aisle. The journalist stood up. Isn't Governor Adams trespassing the legal boundaries allowed by the Constitution in rejecting the decisions of the executive and judicial branches of government? How can you appeal to the law to justify something unlawful? It is the President and the Judiciary that have trespassed the boundaries of the Constitution, ma'am. Our nation's first Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, John Jay, said, Any law repugnant, or repulsive, to the Constitution is null and void. Our Constitution says that the government shall not deprive a person of life or liberty without due process. Texas is returning to divine law and constitutional law as our standard for justice in prosecuting child killers. The murmuring and whispering in the room reached a chaotic level for a moment. Boniface grinned at their apoplexy and raised his hands. Calm down. It'll be all right. Calm down. A young blonde lady in the back raised her hand. Yes, ma'am. Cameron Weaver, the president's press secretary, said that the federal government may withhold funds allocated to Texas from the budget. The citizens of Texas may lose Medicare, funds for infrastructure, public education, emergency preparedness for terrorism, and a host of other programs that the federal government funds. Is Governor Adams prepared to accept those consequences, even though it will devastate the lives of many of his constituents? Boniface answered, As Governor Adams said in his speech at the march, obtaining the blessing of God benefits us more than federal funds. Texas gives more to the feds in taxes than we get anyway. If we were to withhold the taxes that we would have given them, we'll still come out ahead. Next question. Hands rose and he pointed to the CNN correspondent in the back of the room. How would Governor Adams respond if the federal government sent in armed forces to ensure that Texans could obtain abortions and euthanasia procedures at health clinics? That's an interesting choice of words, said Boniface. Could something rightly be called a health clinic if only half the patients who enter come out alive? That's a misnomer if I ever heard one. If the president sends armed forces to keep those killing centers open, well, we'll just have to protect the innocent. 
There was a moment of silence. The journalists were not pleased in the slightest with that answer, and he knew it. "'Who's God?' asked the New York Times from the back of the room. "'Excuse me?' said Boniface, cocking his head. "'You've been throwing around the word God and talking about divine law as if we all had the same definition. Who's God?' Rob Boniface took a deep breath. "'We reject religious pluralism and relative morality because they are unreasonable, self-refuting concepts. All religions are not equal. Some worship false gods and embrace counterfeit standards of justice.' The New York Times reporter had a follow-up. Texas has always enjoyed religious freedom, but now the governor wants to force a theocracy upon the state. Emboldened by his admiring colleagues, the reporter's criticism escalated. Isn't Henry Adams treading upon one of America's most time-cherished liberties, the right to determine one's own religion? As a Christian, I think that the coercive nature of the governor's religious dictates does a disservice to the teachings of Jesus. When the famed reporter sat down, a rumble of applause rippled through the room, bringing an unexpected smile upon the face of the governor's new press secretary. That is an intelligent question, and one I'll be glad to answer. Imposing our religion on others is against our religion. Christianity makes converts by way of verbal persuasion, not imposition. When civil magistrates enforce the law to protect the innocent, we do not violate anyone's free choice of faith or unbelief. However, we do not remain neutral either. It is not in the interests of the people of Texas for your state government to act like there is no God. If you choose to reject Christianity, you are free to do so, but you are not free to kill innocent people in Texas anymore. He paused, looked around the room, and saw shocked countenances and wide eyes fastened on him. I'll not be taking any more questions. He concluded his press conference abruptly and then calmly exited the room. The crowd of journalists stared at the empty podium, stunned. Thus was birthed a national figure to be hated and scorned by the media and by the Hollywood elites. Thus was birthed a national leader for the invigorated movement to reestablish local government on the principles of the Holy Bible. Robert Boniface would soon become a household name, the man most hated by half the country and most loved by the other half. San Francisco, California Settle down, Terry, settle down. Bree put his arm over his lover's shoulders and patted him gently. Terry Markison breathed deeply through his menthol-flavored Virginia Slim. I'm embarrassed to even ride in this thing with his name stuck on the side. We should have changed it. They were waiting in a long line of cars in a huge parking lot with thousands of other gays preparing for the largest annual gay pride march in the world right through downtown San Francisco. They had spent the majority of their much-needed weekend vacation griping about Governor Adams' new policies. Terry was riding on the back of a black convertible with a banner on the side of the vehicle that had his name and political position inscribed on it. Terry Markison, Director of the Budget and Planning Division, Cabinet of Texas Governor Henry Adams. Terry had the classic GQ look, blonde dyed and gelled spiked hair, a three-piece pinstripe suit with a thin leather tie over a pink dress shirt. Bree was shirtless to show off his artificial tan and the rainbow tattoo on his left shoulder. He sat next to Terry in the back seat as they waited. This thing'll turn around, take my word for it. Bree looked ahead and saw that the line of vehicles and marchers was beginning to move. He hopped into the driver's seat. I just don't see how. This has never happened before, a governor of a state bucking the federal government like this. Oh, it's happened before, all right. Bree's head nodded enthusiastically as he glanced at Markison in the rearview mirror. Thanks to you, it'll never come to that. A thick-limbed, dark-skinned man walked past them carrying a large banner that read, Gay, got AIDS yet? Terry was furious. What? Do you see that? Bree tried to comfort him. Ignore him, Terry. You've got more important things to worry about. Let's talk about something else. Terry sighed and turned away from the burly street preacher. Governor Adams said he's not going to sign anything until he gets a life bill on his desk that will outlaw euthanasia and abortion without exceptions. What about the mother's health? Bree said with a shrug of his shoulders. You know, life more or less is comprised of good health. He's trying to override all three branches of the federal government in the name of his almighty God, Terry Markison said sarcastically. You heard what he said about the government being obligated to punish murderers, remember that? Bree nodded. 
Well, the Bible also says gays like you and me should be killed, stoned to death, Bree. I wonder if he's going to take a public stand on what the Bible says about that. Their eyes met, and Terry answered his own question. Nah, he'll probably have his holy apostle Robert Boniface say it for him, live on primetime television. I know, it's pathetic, said Bree. You've got to see the positive side, babe. When you help the FBI knock him to his senses, you'll be the most famous gay in modern history. Good point. Terry held his cigarette in the air in front of him and winked at his lover in the rearview mirror. You're such an optimist, Bree. That's what I love about you. Bree responded, Gotta think good thoughts, happy thoughts. When the parade float in front of them started to move, Bree started the car and Terry rose to sit on the trunk of the convertible with his legs dangling in his seat. Three men in bikinis and several topless women crossed in front of his car and Bree motioned for them to move out of the way. He revved the engine and turned back to look in admiration at his partner. I want to see that big old cute smile, Terry. Make the gay community proud. Thank you for listening to this reading from The Revolt of 2020. This chapter was read by Daniel Meyer and engineered by Park Leacock. The Revolt of 2020 and its sequels, The American Tyranny of 2020 and The Uncivil War of 2020, are available for purchase at docjohnstonnovels.com. That's docjohnstonnovels.com. O Lord, turn us back to you. Forgive our sins and heal our land.